Welcome to the Biopractica Professional Podcast Series. Biopractica is an Australian-owned, practitioner-only brand focusing on nutritional and herbal products proven to play a role in preventative medicine. Biopractica is committed to supporting healthcare professionals in developing their knowledge and skills so they can confidently and effectively tackle the major health challenges facing their patients today. To support this commitment, the Learning Hub was established by Biopractica to offer practitioners a collection of educational resources so they can stay informed on the latest in health science research. Welcome everyone. It's great to have you join us today on this podcast and our topic for today is avoiding antibiotics this winter. Claire, Claire Murray, are you there? Have you joined me? I am here. I am here and very topical, important conversation as we head into another winter period and I feel like there are so many people in my life that have already been slammed with really hectic flus, a lot of influenza A going around and it's really knocking people around. Are you finding any of the same down there? Uh, look, literally it seems like every second person I meet has either been sick or had a family member who's sick. And and I, for me, it really feels like just the start of that, I'll call it that winter illness season. But yes, it absolutely is a lot of influenza A. And, and it does seem a little more viral. And that's why I think you know, chatting today about avoiding antibiotics this winter is an interesting topic. Yes, it is very interesting, isn't it? Because as we know, you can't really treat a virus with antibiotics, can you? And yet it seems to keep getting prescribed. It does. It does. But remember, and, you know, I, I think a lot of doctors have identified that there is an expectation of patients that they will get antibiotics. And I, I know a person who, whenever he gets a cold, he goes to get the antibiotics just to prevent the secondary bacterial infection. But data isn't showing that that's actually the best thing to do. Yes, this is going to be interesting to dive into. What is some info? Because I know you've been looking into it. Like, what is what is the own GP's body say about this topic? Yeah, of yeah, the yeah. Whole? So, so <clears throat> the Australian College of GPs, Absolutely. Look, they do. So in an article they published, it's available on the internet. If you'd like to look at Australian College of GPs and type in antibiotics, and you can probably read this article, but in a nutshell, it says antibiotic resistance is one of the key emerging threats to global health. It's importance to Australia underlined by the publication of the Australian Commission on Quality, on sorry, Safety and Quality Healthcare in 2021. Antibiotic overuse is the key driver of antibiotic resistance. And antibiotic stewardship is an important tool uh, to prevent this. So what they're talking about, though, and it's really interesting, they go and say, look, we're not just talking about any healthcare setting or just with GPs. We're talking about over-the-counter antibiotic sales, vet uh, vet use and even agricultural use of antibiotics. So obviously, mm. you know, antibiotic resistance is a thing. And I think we actually spoke once on another podcast talking about probiotics. And we actually talked about how they stressed one of the uh, strains of Elroyteri and that some of these bacteria all have their inherent own natural antibiotic resistance. And that they had to stress this strain of L. Reuterite for it to actually throw out those plasmids that gave it antibiotic resistance. Mm -hmm. So where I'm going with this, though, is that we can have a whole heap of different bacteria that have that. The more that we use antibiotics, the more 
it enhances their antibiotic resistance. Mm. But it's not mm-hmm. just you have a cough, you get antibiotics. It's other antibiotics in your food. You know, what, what, what sort of overall antibiotic use is there? But it goes on to say that this is really interesting. The majority of antibiotic prescribing in general practice, including non-evidence-based prescribing, right, is for respiratory tract infections. Non-pneumonia, acute respiratory infections have two key features that make them important to target. And that is because so many people go and see doctors because they have, you know, non-pneumonia, acute respiratory infections. But what they know is that firstly, these things are very common. But the evidence from randomized controlled trials is that antibiotics are of minimal or no benefit. But that's what Mm. people go to see the doctor for. So, and this is what I meant before when I say, look, is there an expectation of patients? Should we as practitioners help change that expectation, change that, you know, that, that sort of concept that I've got a cough, I'm coughing up something, I need antibiotics. Because, look, it, it does go on to say that the antibiotics are prescribed at rates four, between four and nine times higher than is actually recommended. Between mm. four and nine times higher than is actually recommended uh, to show actual benefit. Do you have uh, a quick list with yourself there of examples of bacterial infections? Because we do know antibiotics are indicated in bacterial infections, and bacterial infections can be pretty sort of uh, serious. So, what are your top? two or three bacterial infections that you'd go, you definitely need antibiotics for? Yeah, so in our actual kind of respiratory tract, if we kind of stay there, if someone has strep, strep throat, that is streptococcus, that's a bacterial infection. Yeah, pneumonia, it can be both viral and bacterial, but I suppose predominantly pneumonia will kind of appear as that secondary, you know, lung chest infection. So it can be bacterial driven a lot of the time, but then our other common things are like our UTIs and our skin infections, like a staph infection Mm. or something. So they're like a great indication if that's running away from you a bit, you know, and we don't Mm. want that to escalate where we do kind of need to intervene with your antibiotics, but you know, within that respiratory tract, your common cold or flu, Mm -hmm. it's not indicated is it? <laughs> no. And, and interestingly, even bronchitis, because remember, bronchitis can simply be that inflammation of the bronchi from yeah. a virus. But people yeah. say, oh, it's a cough. It's, you know, my chest is sore. I'm coughing. And, you know, one, one of the classics I, I hear is I cough, but I swallow it before I can see what it is. Do you know what I mean? So there mm. actually is a little bit of sputum there, but obviously not a lot you know the person isn't able to say i am coughing green chunks or yellow chunks or 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 whatever the case may be but look i I think the data even is on you know most of the time most coughs and even sore throats are not actually bacterial infection very often they Mm. are in fact viral infections and i think kind of what we've mentioned already a few times before is that a cold or a flu can lead to a secondary, often bacterial mm. infection. But mm. these things, I think a point that I think is valid is that these mm. things are often self-limiting, just like a bacterial infection is. 
Yeah. Sorry, just like the initial viral infection is, the bacterial infection is also self-limiting too. And I think it's actually pretty common for a lot of people who get a cold or a flu to get a maybe a little secondary bacterial infection where, you know, you had the stuffed up sinuses and now it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you're blowing out gross stuff and they're painful mm-hmm. and you can tell it's like, yeah, or you start to develop that really kind of mucusy cough that if you're running to get antibiotics for those, yeah, sure, if you're an at-risk population or if it's really kind of escalating. But a lot of the time, you know, someone will have that. Yeah, totally. There's mm. all, yeah, mm. like all medicines are great for the perfect person. Mm. Mm. But I think, you know, a lot of people have kind of had that cold or flu and it goes a little bit gross for that last kind of week <laughs> or so. And then, you know, it clears up and <laughs> life <Yep>. goes on. <laughs> Oh, look, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, you mentioned sort of sinus infections. I think they're a really, really good example. I mean, I get why people are, I'll say, concerned about sinus infections. You know, this is going to be an infection near your brain. And mm. we, we, we know the immune, you know, the brain is in a, in a, an immune privileged site. So, you know, you do want to be careful, obviously. But as you said, so much of it is really quite self-limiting. It's unpleasant. It's not very nice. Yeah. It really is is self-limiting. But, you know, I think you then do have to look at, okay, not only do you have that, that I'll call it tightness in your face, not only is it a bit sore if you tap your forehead, but you've actually got a fever. That's, mm. you know, that's something absolutely to keep an mm. eye on. You've got, you know, like really bad pain in your cheeks or your mm. forehead, you know, piercing pain, not just a dull, oh, yeah, that's or, oh, that's not yeah, nice. But, yeah. you know, you can feel that pain all the time. You know, some of those times, absolutely, I would consider finding out, if I could, if, if it's bacterial and, and, you know, absolutely seeing the GP and possibly taking antibiotics in those, you know, in those cases. But I think you really need some of those real standout symptoms that show this is an infection, that is potentially, you know, going to uh, not 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 just a self-limiting infection. It's not just an inconvenience. It's not just a, oh, you got to stay home for three days. It, it's you know, there, there's obviously a lot more to it there. And and I do want to go as far as say, you know, pneumonia. I think can often be that as well. And one of the reasons I think it is important to be aware of as to whether people do or don't need antibiotics for pneumonia is, I was reading an article and they were saying that I think over the age of just say it's 40, it might be a bit older, a bit younger, but basically, you know, for every pneumonia infection you have, it can reduce your overall lung capacity by 2% or 3%. Mm. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but if you're getting pneumonia every year for 10 years, you might have 20% yeah. less lung capacity. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think once again, there are really valid Things, but let, let's be honest. If we want a topical uh, example of a virus that causes a pneumonia, well, that's that's COVID nineteen. You know, that's exactly yeah. what that was doing. And no amount, they, it, it was very clear very quickly that no amount of antibiotics was saving anyone no. from the pneumonia caused by COVID nineteen. Unfortunately, you know, mm, it wouldn't have been the problem mm. it was if, if those sorts of things worked. But I, I do just want to say, look, I think it, with sinus infection, chest infection, especially if there's those fevers, sweating, chills, you know, real problems, breathing or Can't very breathe. sharp pain can't breathe absolutely that, that's emergency medicine stuff and that needs to be addressed and even straight if you're away just, 
you like how you were talking about with the pain, you know, with the sign of it, if it's mm. like that really per- piercing, persisting mm. pain or with the ammonia, if it's pain with breathing and the breathing starts mm. to get quite labored, like even those things kind of red flags, but also if you just can't, if you can't rest, you know, when you have pain like that, yeah. you can't sleep, you can't get comfortable. And what's the number one thing yep. that we'd be prescribing someone? It's like try and create space in your life to rest and convalesce and get better. Mm. Like if you can't even do mm. that, you know, that's a bit of an issue as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, look, let's have a bit of a chat about people who might have, I'll call it a mild illness and what sorts of things we would consider using if antibiotics mm. haven't been prescribed. So, you know, let, let's hope perhaps someone's gone to see the doctor and the doctor said, you know what, this really mm. isn't bacterial don't worry, come back and see me in three days if you're not better and then we'll, we might swab you or whatever. So let's assume, though, these people have some kind of, we'll call it infection and antibiotics haven't been prescribed. What sorts of things are you going to think about using with them to support them? Mm. I think with this really specific picture in mind, like we can talk and we can get into herbs that generally support immune function and stimulate, you know, increased production of immune cells and all that kind of stuff. But a big thing that will cause a viral infection, like upper or general respiratory tract infection, to skip into a secondary bacterial infection is this Mm -hmm. presence of inflammation, which kind of causes that swelling, that congestion. If mucus then starts to build up, it's like that energetics of that bacteria thrive in that warm, moist environment. So if you're starting to have that kind of really stuffy, mucusy presentation in the sinus or in the lung, like mm-hmm. let's move the mucus out so the bacteria do not have a beautiful home for them to set up camp. So, mm-hmm. you know, like your saline rinse, if you want to be like mixing, if, if you have that training and understanding, like mixing in some um, diluted essential oils, even into that, that can help get rid of biofilms and stuff. Even like your just classic inhalations, like with your eucalyptus essential oil, citrus is another great antimicrobial that's great to in, inhale. That's also kind of mucolytic in its own way. Yeah. And then with the lungs, you know, like let's get some expectorants happening in there. Like let's get this mucus up and out. That's right. And and I think you're really spot on there because I'm not sure um, when I came across it was a while ago now. I think I actually, because I used to always wonder, how does just getting cold give you a cold, right? And obviously we, we can say, look, it can stress the immune response, et cetera. But I did come across something that was actually talking about very cold air, potentially paralyzing cilia. Mm. And remember, they're, they're meant to move the mucus. They're there to help move yeah. and shift and, you know, create that mucosal movement. So if you're out in very, very cold air and you're breathing that, that's almost going to paralyze your mucus moving cilia. And as mm. you rightfully said, when mucus just sits still, that's when it's a problem. Mucus that's mm. moving and is moving through the body and flowing through the body, even though mucus we know moves slowly and flows slowly, that's fine. No, it's it's when it's stopped. It's when it's mm. just sitting there. That's really going to be a problem. And I guess that's the whole thing, you know, when we're talking sort of say uh, sinus and you were saying, you know, saline rinses could be great using, you know, if you train some essential oils, eucalyptus inhalations or all those sorts of things. Because, you know, especially with sometimes the inhalation, sometimes the saline itself, of course, is at least going to move that yeah. mucus. 
But, you know, and, and look, I'll, I'll just put off to one side, you know, some of the really obvious stuff, you know, some basic lifestyle stuff. Are you resting? Are you keeping mm. yourself really nice and warm? Are you mm. lucky enough to have someone cooking you nourishing foods or do you happen to already have some that you prepared earlier that you can be having? And mm. and just on that note, you know, you spoke of sleep and the importance of sleep. And I think especially that's where things like the saline rinses and things so people can actually breathe through their nose yes. while they're sleeping because, you know, it, it's so fundamental. Uh, the eucalyptus can help open up those airways as well as have a lovely, you know, antipathogenic effects mm. that those things almost need to be some of the key stuff you do or at least some of the first mm. stuff you do totally it's kind of those energetics are kind of coming to my mind as you're talking and there's like the cold and the damp of the mucus we mm. really need to be meeting that with that warming drying flushing mm -hmm. activity to counteract it don't we like the warm inhalations it's like get the blood flow mm. get the warmth coming in the mucus breaks down it starts to come out it starts to expectorate like bring it up and get it moving just like you said and, and like I remember reading some stuff about how that cold air can just kind of damage our respiratory tract cells and that and that's how bacteria get in or, or you know mm. microbes that they'll kind of yep. find their opportunistic way of like oh like there's some oxidative stress and some damage to this cell surface mm -hmm. I can kind of penetrate and get in so it's it's breathing in that warm warm air like I have an acupuncture friend and she's just like at the start of every winter season she's just constantly being like everyone cover your neck put your scarf on have you put your scarf yes. on today have you got your scarf? Yes. have you got your socks on when you're walking on your tile or your wooden floors like mm -hmm. meet these energetics of continually be combating the cold with the warmth and to me it brings in I don't know if we get like a little bit philosophical or whatever the the, the right word is that it's like there is that dynamic of like I, I'm sick so I go to the doctor and then they'll give mm. me something to fix it. And so then mm. I've done something about it. And that's very much the paradigm that we kind of live in. It's like that might not be the right thing for you, but your brain just needs something to be like, I'm doing something about it. And, and you know, but there's so many things that you can be doing, our patients can be mm. doing to be doing something about it, you know, that isn't going to be contributing to the antibiotic resistance that is no. actually going to be having, you know, um, a useful effect in addressing the virus or, or putting the body in this place where it can get better and doesn't skip over into this bacterial infection. Yeah. And, and it's interesting though, you know, that we, we saw about, you know, you, you spoke of your acupuncturist friend and, you know, the warmth and things like that. And that sometimes I think really basic stuff like teas, mm. you know, I think sometimes we don't give teas necessarily the real kudos they deserve. You know, and of course you've got what I'll call quite therapeutic teas and there's even good data, I think, on time when it does come to respiratory tract infections. You know, time is a tea. Now, not everyone's going to enjoy time tea. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if if you're not a naturopath who, or a herbalist who really gets into, you know, some of those strong tasting herbs, it might be a bit much. But, you know, there's even things like green tea has actually been shown to have, mm. you know, with its polyphenols, some benefit to the overall immune response. And once again, it's that warming side of things mm. I, I think is, is so important. I mean, you know, ginger tea, of course, you know, once again, when we're talking about that warmth, when we're talking about the coldness and the damp that, you know, Chinese mm. medicine really, you know, 
is aware of and and and, and explains in regards to people's illness. Uh, is there yeah. anything you do? Do you sort of get people to eat a whole piece of ginger and chew garlic or? Uh, yeah, there's something to be said for that. Oh yeah. Yeah, well, I was thinking with tea, like the green tea, also when we have um, like those high tannin things mm-hmm. like cinnamons and other example mm. of that astringent effect that you that's what i was kind of bringing to mm-hmm. mind like yarrow really astringent as well mm-hmm. like those teas again that they're warming and if you can also bring in that astringent mm-hmm. they're kind of like drying as well which is what mm. we get like let's you know let's clear mm. up this mucus let's move it along and yeah mm-hmm. could we do like a lovely licorice or marshmallow as well which might help counteract yeah. some of the taste of that time but um is so soothing you know if you've got someone yeah. who's sitting around being like well I've already been coughing for two weeks and I can tell that it's getting mm. a bit more mucusy and I'm feeling run down again like I'm a bit over it like how can we kind yep. of be you know meeting that and really giving them some relief that antibiotics might not necessarily do either like they're not going to have that really beautiful kind of soothing demulsant effect which yep. herbs like that are so wonderful at well, on, on, on the subject of breaking down and moving mucus, because I think we've pretty much established that, you know, it's it's partially this stasis. And that, that is where, you know, some of these different teas are going to be really relevant. You know, the fact that they have lovely astringent effects uh, is going to hopefully decrease overall mucus production. But, you know, look, I'll say it's still quite topical. Breaking down mucus, NAC, what do you think about it? Mm. Yep. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, it was first synthesized for cystic fibrosis fibrosis patients so you know original use was for this mucolytic activity so uh, such a good one to be calling on here isn't it Mm, mm. and 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 i think you know as as you've rightfully said though there's also the you know that that lung cells i'll say get damaged or receive you know small have have small amounts of damage or insults occur to them and you know there there are things like the um you know anything that's going to decrease reactive oxygen species improve the body's ability to produce its own you know antioxidants are going to be important Mm. and you know so things like nac i think really stand out as being yeah absolutely if if your char- if your illness is characterised by large amounts of mucus, that's really hard to break down. And if the licorice isn't doing it and the marshmallow isn't doing it, you know, you could use NAC. Mm. You know, I, as you know, I've, I've been – this is my 30th year of practice. You know, I, I, I used to quite like using things like sundew as, as a herb. Mm. I found that to be uh, quite good, especially for quite sort of sticky – thick mucus mm-hmm. and, and anything else you'd consider oh just like yeah you're good expectorants at this point like elecampane whorehound kind of depending on whether it is that more dry or kind of mucusy is it productive is it unproductive but i think they're going to be pretty important here like especially if we just have that patient like that man that you talked about at the start who's like mm-hmm. i got a cold i'm already off to the doctor because i already know i'm going to get a yep. chest infection like let's just take the antibiotics it's like it, there are you really see it in clinic don't you the kid mm. or the adult who just constitutionally their lungs, like their respiratory tract is the, mm. the thing to go. Like they get a bit of a cold and it just kind yeah. of escalates or you've got the kid yep. and just, you know, 24 hours later they've already got croup. Like it's just kind of they're the people that, you know, are really going to benefit from all of this kind of warming, stimulating, expectorant, mm. mucolytic support, I think. Like if you can even get mm. them on a bit of a preventative protocol over winter what mm-hmm. a difference that could make i think i was going to say i think that's where things like uh, olive leaf extract probably mm. is one of those things i'd start to consider as you know as a bit of a prophylactic protocol 
you, you know, olive leaf extract, there's some really, really good data on it, you know, promoting macrophage activation, improving natural killer cell activation, uh, and, you know, just really enhancing that innate immune function. And I even saw some data on it actually improving neutropenia as well. So, mm. you know, and, and that's the thing. I, I guess we're not jumping all over the show, but you know, we've sort of gone from what happens when people have these infections to, well, hey, what are we going to do possibly for people who are prone to these infections mm. so they don't get these mm. infections? And as I said, you know, I think olive leaf extract is uh, absolutely something I would really, really consider for someone who will just say is prone to these infections um, in, in the cooler month. And I think like your, your chronic immune picture, astragalus, mm. you know, reishi, shiitake, mm. all of those things that have that more... Like, yes, they're useful in an acute infection. You know, things like mm -hmm. your mushrooms have great evidence for your respiratory tract infections, yes, but they also have that mm -hmm. real kind of tonic, adaptogen, mm -hmm. longer-term building picture as well, which I think is so yeah. nice. How nice to have things that can do both, right? They can be kind of both acute yes. and chronic yep. like yeah absolutely look i was gonna say i saw some data on uh, astragalus and i think they had they wanted to see the chance of people getting respiratory tract infections and the group they chose were rowers people who you know row row down the, the uh you know competitive rowers at, at a university mm -hmm. because let's be honest they're exposed to water they're exposed to cold and they yes. phys physically rowing. Rowing is a great way to work, really work your body. You know your legs, your, your arms, lungs everything. Too, yes. so, and <laughs> yes. your lungs, absolutely. Yeah. If, if you can't breathe properly and you're trying to really row, good luck to you. Yeah. But what they actually found was that I think the rowers wound up getting less, uh, we'll say, sick, less infections, etc. They identified they seemed to have, and this was with astragalus. Uh, as a bit of a prophylactic, that they stabilize, stabilize their natural killer cells and their Treg cells and help them tend toward a Th1 response, which, remember, is the first response we want if we're going mm. to be, you know, exposed to an infective substance. So, yeah, absolutely, mm. astragalus, uh, yeah, d definitely consider that, definitely. Yeah, and zinc and vitamin C, you know, they're pretty classic ones that appear in your um, immune formulas, but it kind of also brings to mind that antioxidant effect that you were talking about before that, yeah. no, we want to be keeping those um, lung cells healthy as much as possible mm. as well, especially if someone, you know, I'm up in sunny Queensland, Brisbane, our winter here, I don't really love the summer, so I found our winter very glorious, but you know, a lot of the country can get really cold, really cold, and people are out, like, commuting to work and, you know, doing mm -hmm. all those things, and it's, like, that cold air for months that people are really breathing. Mm -hmm. So especially, like we said, that person who can be, like, just constitutionally really affect them, all of these things yep. are just such good top-ups for this time of year. Yeah. You know, it's also interesting because I'll call it almost a bit of a cultural thing, uh, only because in Australia I don't see – Lots and lots and lots of people on a cold day walking around with a scarf wrapped around their mouth. But, you know, I'm pretty sure if, if, if you went to uh, Stockholm or Sweden or somewhere like yeah. that, you know, on a cold day, everyone would be completely covered. Mm. You know, you know and, and I think it's just interesting and in that maybe we do need to be reminding people of some of those things because I think culturally in Australia we go, oh, it's warm, oh, it's not that cold. Yes. And I, you know, I, I, I don't know what 
temperature is too cold for you to breathe the air without, you know, trying to warm it or, or at least breathe mm. in through your nose because, remember, that's going to warm the air a little bit. Mind you, if you've got sensitive sinuses, it might not be the best thing for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it, that's one thing I would say that I don't see Australians do very much is sort of, I'll say, mm. pre-warm their air or try to protect themselves from that really cold air. And I, I think that's absolutely fundamental. Yeah, that's true. And I wonder whether it is because like our, we do kind of have, as a nation, that kind of like beach culture and it's hot here. And I'm like, yeah, but now that you say that, like I have a friend that lived in Melbourne and she's just moved to Geelong and like we'll catch up on the mm. phone and she's just like, our summer down here lasts like literally two weeks and it's like 20 mm-hmm. or, you know, you get those random like 30, 40 degree days down there. She's like, most of the year it's just cold. Our heater is on. I was like, mm. you guys mm. live in a cold place. Like, mm. and yet, yeah, you're kind of right. Like that overarching thing of like, oh, it's hot here and we've got the beaches and we're outside all the time. Like that kind of persists beyond the reality of for a lot of places and, you know, inland or rural mm. areas, it can get really cold a lot of the year. Yeah, look, it, it absolutely can. It absolutely can. Oh, there's one other thing, though, that has sprung to mind, and that mm. is because we're talking about, you know, we are talking bacterial infections. I mean, we're obviously acknowledging there can be viral as well, but, you know, you get stasis of mucus and you you might be prone, might be prone to bacterial infections. But I did see also a, a publication looking at, using oral probiotics in young children Mm. with respiratory tract infections and that they actually got better a bit quicker than those who didn't use oral probiotics. And I thought that was really interesting. But Mm. I guess it makes sense. Let's put some good bacteria, you know, that that produce good metabolites and things that our body Mm. might need. Let's put some of that in. So I, I guess from the perspective of trying to avoid antibiotics and talking about people who are prone to we'll say pneumonias or or whatever they perceive as pneumonias, that, you know, maybe one thing we can do for them leading up to the cooler months is in fact at least consider something like oral probiotics for them. What do you think? Yeah, and even just like that mechanism you discussed before of uh, I think it was the astragalus, you know, inducing the production of Mm -hmm. UT reg cells, like that's something that probiotics are very, very good at, like interfacing with Mm. that immune system being like, hey, you know, like let's keep things regulated and, and have the exact right immune cells and T helper cells being produced right where we need it. So, mm. yes, I think that that's a great, great mechanism as well. And I think, you know, my brain starts to go to, it, it, it's not that common either an allocation for people's diets to necessarily shift with the seasons as well. Like if someone's gut yeah. function is, you know, impacted, let's let's keep that kind of gut immune thing going on. Like are they switching over to the, to the warming mm. foods, or are they still having that kind of wheat mix with cold milk every morning? Like that mm. cold, damp presentation, you know? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. what we need to do to kind of combat that, I think, is very important. Yeah, it's and and you're right. Not everyone does eat, I'll say, that seasonally. But when I do speak to people who do, they absolutely love it. They go, "Oh, I'm really glad mm. it's cold now. Oh, I get to have a lot more, you know, really warming, hearty foods and and things like that." And it's. Uh, it is good to see. It is really good to see. Yes. So, yeah, look, obviously we have seasons and we'll say we have seasons for a reason. But on that note, Claire, I think we have to uh, wrap things up for today. I guess for me some of the take-homes from here is certainly make sure that people are aware of what are some of the warning signs, you know, when it, when it comes to an infection. And if you're not necessarily better, you do need to uh, go and see mm. probably a GP because even though – 
you know, everyone can identify overprescription of antibiotics is a problem. I think we also need to remember antibiotics can absolutely be life saving. And, you, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we just need to, it's not that they're good or bad. We just need to watch, you know, how much we do it. And especially for me, you know, it's, it's those fevers, it's those really sharp pains. It's blood being produced from be it your sinuses yeah. or your coughing blood or, or any of those yeah. things. But, you know, uh, otherwise, um, you know, uh, Absolutely, you know, considering what things and not just lifestyle, even though, you know, as we said, diet wise, lifestyle, I think really, really important. But, you know, some of those herbs as well. Yes, like, yeah, be discerning, watch out for those signs, especially if you, you know, you've got someone in that kind of younger or older population, we don't want to be mucking mm. around with them if, if we've got someone mm. who's immunocompromised. But otherwise, if we've got an otherwise healthy person, we've got a chance mm. to kind of wait it out. If they're feeling like, I really want to do something about this and I'm kind of mm. itching to go to the doctor and get the antibiotics. And I know if I go, they'll give them to me. It's like, Oh, we've just mm. probably suggested 20 things here that someone could be doing. Mm. I'm just trying to have mm. someone really understand in their mind that this is just as valuable as going to get those antibiotics. If it, mm. if it hasn't necessarily yet developed into a secondary infection, or even if it has, mm. because for most people it will be self-limiting and it will write itself out. Mm. What can we be doing? you know, with the diet and lifestyle yeah. and the herbs to kind of help move that along as, as fast as possible. Yeah. There's so many things, yeah. so many things. But look, and and the other one is I think that you sort of really led into a bit earlier was that maybe these people, because they are prone to these things, you know, they, they have that, you know, for some people I know when they get sick, it's always a headache. For other people, it's always their chest, if you know what I mean, or mm. their sinus or something like that. But for people like that, do consider, you know, you know, a product which either has in it or, or, you know, maybe even liquid tinctures of things like olive leaf extract. Uh, You know, look at, you know, even things like Andrographis has good data on it as well. Mm. You know, Astragalus, of course, as you said, zinc, vitamin C, and some of the mushrooms as well. I, I think if we can identify that some people are going to be prone to this, then it really is about how do we manage it before it becomes a problem. Yes, and I was seeing someone on my social media say before, say a week or two ago it's like so many people don't get a toolkit ready and then when they get mm. sick they're just scrambling 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 it's that like is. yeah if you know you're that person or you know that it's your your elderly parent or it's your kid that as soon as they get yeah. sick it's going to go to their lungs like get some things in the pantry ready to go mm-hmm. yeah and, and so easy with things like teas to to really just have them there already made and then then it's just add the hot water and start drinking mm. it and, and uh, you know, look, look after yourself, I guess. And and the great thing about teas is you can do them at first sign when you think you're coming down with something. You don't have to wait. Yeah. You can go, oh, no. I think I'm down something. I better go get that tea. Yes, and that's the beauty of herbs, isn't it? They're not just antibacterial. They're antimicrobial. They're antiviral. Like that is not something that medicine has to offer. So, right. yes, I definitely agree on that front. Mm. Absolutely. Look, Claire, thank you for uh, taking time to, to uh, sit down and have another chat with me. I really enjoy our uh, our of podcast course. chats. So, um, and, and, you know, I, I believe we've solved half of the problems of the world so far. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, Halfway through the well, year, in my half mind, the we have. <laughs> By the end of the year, we'll have it all fixed. We'll have everything all yeah, sorted. Yeah, gosh. Uh, <laughs> 
But I will say to the listeners, if you want any more information on, uh, you know, what herbs might be appropriate, or if you'd like to look at some data on different probiotics, possibly that you might want to consider in cases like this, you know, please do hop on to biopractica.com.au. Make sure you're registered as a practitioner and you can get them. There's a, they've got a whole heap of really good uh, information and data there that might help you just tweak things for your patients or just give you some really good ideas to uh, work with them and especially when they are trying to avoid antibiotics. Mm, definitely. Well, take care, Claire. I look forward to seeing you again soon and I look forward to everyone tuning in again for our next podcast. Yes, everyone have their socks and their scarves ready as we head into winter. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Next yeah. time I'll be wearing a scarf. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah, I will too. Perfect. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye. See you later. To continue the conversation or find out more about our products and educational resources, please head to biopractica.com.au. Biopractica, empowering healthcare professionals.